0: Welcome to The Drawing Board, a podcast about design presented by design.co. On each episode, we bring you inspiring conversations about the future of design with the people who are leading us there. Join us as we broaden our perspective on the ways design can impact our business and the world around us. Hello everyone, and welcome to the very first episode of The Drawing Board podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Cowden, and today we're talking with Jeremy Laceris about how he founded Design.co. In this episode, we go back to Jeremy's days working in marketing, where he saw firsthand how much money was lost due to waste and inefficiency, even as large companies outsourced much of the actual design work to freelancers. Jeremy goes on to discuss how he arrived at the idea of offering high-quality design from full-time employees at prices small businesses could afford, and the lessons he learned along the way. It's a conversation about learning lessons, taking chances, and clarifying core values. Now, here's my conversation with Jeremy Laceris. Jeremy, welcome to the podcast. It's great to see you. Great to see you too, man. Great. Well, this is our first episode. We're going back to the drawing board and uh, kind of talking about the roots of this company. So, Kind of thought an, an interesting place to start would be to just talk about you know what was the earliest idea of of design
1: My history, my professional career. I was a global VP of marketing and communications for a, a fairly large clean tech manufacturing firm. <clears throat> they did about thirty billion dollars a year, and um, you know we had a huge spend in marketing and communications. And so I, I ran their global marketing group. A lot of fun for me. I got to ring the opening bell at NASDAQ. Hmm. But I I think the... Yeah. (laughs) So I think part of the challenge that I saw in this industry as a whole was with all of the spend I had across multiple countries, working with all these different design agencies. We had an in-house team. We had freelancers that we would use for different design disciplines. It was just a real challenge to organize, to be efficient, and not waste you know, millions of dollars a year. And even the largest agencies that I worked with had huge hurdles, communication challenges, feedback loop issues. And even hiring those agencies, what I found later on, they're still using freelancers, right? Hmm. And there's no nothing against it. You know, I, I think there's a lot of homegrown talent that has done a really good job of learning the skill set, but there's a lack of solid design principles. There's a lack of education, and then that hurts the brand long term, right? So, my small spend with freelancers would have to go back and fix and edit and change and modify in house. And so, I I just saw this really bad throughput process. Reliability was all over the place, even the big companies and the cost structure between a freelancer and agency, even in house, the fully burdened in house employee. It just didn't lend itself to a small business. So I saw a huge gap in the market. I saw a lot of service providers attempt to really build a service around giving cost effective design to small business. But then, you know, it goes back to well, they hire these freelancers that are not necessarily, they don't have the degrees or design principles behind it, they don't have the cost structure that makes sense and when they were affordable you you sacrifice quality. And then I saw, you know, some companies enter the market that I thought were really unique offering unlimited graphic design which was a fixed cost model, which a lot of a lot of companies need. So I think that was a huge turning point for me to say can this be done at a price point that's cost effective without sacrificing quality? Because I, I think the model of unlimited graphic design would break down the barrier of, I'm only going to be as creative as I'm willing to spend money. Right. And so you know often companies would hire an agency and they're like, it's not perfect, but I know that the, the rounds of revisions are going to cost me so much that it's not worth it. So at that point, it's like, does it really make sense? Because you really didn't get what you wanted, but you paid this unmetered agency bill. <laughs> where even phone calls were costing you $100 an hour. Did you get what you wanted? So when I saw that gap, I said, I, I can do it better. And because of my background in SaaS, I thought, is there a way to use tech to bridge the gap between the design community and the, the end customer? And so tightening up communication, you know, time and date stamping things, Having a way to get structured design feedback from a customer in a fashion that turned it into actionable tasks—these are things that I wanted. Running a a fairly large marketing group, and I thought, okay, if I could deliver that, what would the value be? And so we built it, Um, and and I really believed that there could be a better way to do it. But that was the business side of the gap. Okay, where where I saw the biggest challenge. Is can you build a business in a way where happiness is is paramount? Because what I often find is the biggest challenge in in some of these scale up businesses is sacrificing human capital for profit, right? Yeah. You can only take someone so far. Could you make that a lifestyle culture that happy designers make better product? And better product keeps clients happy longer. So it's like no attrition on either side, right? Mm-hmm. So the balance between talent and technology and the customer, right? So it's like this three, three-pronged approach. And we're trying to find a center. and And I believe we found it. And that's when we really started to see some scale. Okay. So this is
0: really interesting because it's like you have a, a design philosophy, but also a business philosophy. Like you were looking at both and kind of bringing them together. Is that right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think they're symbiotic. Really, uh-huh. our design philosophy is what I said: happy designers produce really quality, amazing work, right from their heart because they they enjoy what they're doing. They're not stressed or pressured. They work harder. They go above and beyond to maintain that lifestyle that we provide, and we're doing that as a team, right? So they're setting out to change the way that that business environment is for themselves. But our business philosophy is is very different. And I think, you know, they they do go hand in hand, but we said, can you grow the bottom line at the expense of top line? Right? Mm. So not like your typical company or SaaS startup. I I've, I've been fortunate to have some successes over the years. So I've been able to bootstrap this company and finance it myself. So I don't have investors breathing down my neck mm-hmm. for top-line revenue numbers.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and so our KPIs are not revenue or number of customers. We're really focused on, from a business philosophy perspective, sustainable, profitable growth and serviceability of clients. So it's a very unique way to look at things, right? Often, Oftentimes yeah. you hear... Like, how do we grow super fast? And you know, we need to get to market fast. And let's get our top line up. And you think, wow, that company's doing really great. You know, they're doing ten yeah. million, then forty million, then a hundred million, right? Mm-hmm. But often you, that's at the sacrifice of the customer, right? So
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah, we won the business, but can you maintain it? And are your customers not? Are your customers happy? Are your employees happy? You know, you always hear this growing pains, right? they stretch and sacrifice employees to hit their bottom line target and their customers are not serviceable. So, you know, and then so that's one of the challenges they lose out on loyalty and longevity. The stability of the business is volatile because yeah, I have this really big top line number, but now I can't service it. And that can create a really uninviting environment for Hiring, keeping, maintaining really good talent. Right. They cycle through people and their clients suffer. So I think our philosophy was, can we make happy designers and happy customers at the sacrifice of top line revenue, which isn't, you know, look, I I, I understand small business and often founders in my position are trying to get to their first paycheck. So they're just hungry yeah. to get more business. Yeah. And I'm looking more, how do we make this a sustainable business model for the future? And sometimes at a profit, if we can, at a loss, if we must, right? Okay. But but always yeah. sustainable for both sides of the equation. And culture is the key to that. So we've, we've had some turnover, really talented people, but at the sake of maintaining that culture. Okay. And so we, we continue to maintain that. And that kind of balances our design ph- philosophy. You know, happy designers make great products with our our overreaching business philosophy.
0: Yeah. How big of a gamble did like aiming at happiness as opposed to really chasing that that high profit number? Did that feel like a gamble? Like were you kind of going on your gut that it would work, or did you did you have a good feeling that it would work?
1: I have a great feeling that it works. (laughs) I mean, I've not seen it done except there is a there is a CRM company and I I believe it's Basecamp. I read something from the CEO years and years ago about profitable growth over revenue targets. And it really stuck out to me that, okay, you know, that if you look at their growth story, it's, it's amazing what they've done. And Basecamp has become one of the, you know, fastest growing now CRM platforms. And I said, could we do the same thing with design? Because, you know, designers typically working for agencies have a hard life of really long days and really really tough bosses and they're stretched thin. And yeah. I, I said, "Could we hire US-based designers, have them work in our office, have them local, make sure that they have degrees, like really talented people, hmm. fine arts degrees, digital design disciplines so that the customer really gets a quality end product, Could we do it cost-effectively at scale?" And and that was really the challenge and we've I think we've really met and exceeded what my expectations were. Yeah. And still maintain profitability. So it's it's been great. Okay.
0: So you've mentioned you've mentioned employees. You've mentioned that a lot of other companies use freelancers. Um are you kind of all full time employees or do you have freelancers who work with you?
1: Yeah. So no freelancers, Zero. no offshoring, okay. no outsourcing. Okay. hundred percent full time salaried employees. Like even hourly to me is a bad business model. Mm-hmm. Because it 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 kind of takes away, really kind of gives the opportunity there for them to say, well, it's just going to take a little bit longer, right? And so when you take that off the table, the interest is to get quality products done quicker, not quality products, you know, spread out. <laughs> so right. It's it's okay. good for the it's good for the end customer, and it's also really good for our business model.
0: Okay, so we're talking about hundred percent full time salaried. United States local designers who have degrees who are happy. <laughs> so, yeah. That's that's the quality piece, right?
1: Yep, and that's it's actually a not necessarily a tagline but I, we always say quality is more than just skin deep, right? It's not what you see the output. It's the quality of designer behind it. It's the art direction, it's the having a fine arts degree and understanding color and font and and various other uh, design disciplines being well-rounded and then you know there's some other things like file layering and uh, naming conventions and organization and those are also a big part of what we consider quality but quality starts with the people so that's really our focus is to retain and and build talent that's not hey let's go hire a bunch of freelancers and look I, I have nothing against Global design talent mm-hmm there's just a lot of hurdles and challenges that come along with it. And at the expense, it's not like it's harmonizing the expense, right? Yeah. So <laughs> you you have time differences, you have language barriers, you have some huge hurdles to overcome. So we said, can we do it local? And and really try to build jobs here, uh, not just in Miami, but in the US as a whole. But uh, 99% of our staff is local here in, in Miami.
0: Okay. Wow. Wow. So like very local. <laughs> That's great. Yeah,
1: I'm just curious.
0: We kind of got the initial idea and the vision. Since then, as the company's grown, I'm interested if you've if you've seen the company evolve or change in any kind of significant ways, if you've had to, to tweak things or add things or detract. How do you think this company has kind of evolved or shifted since the initial concept?
1: So we're always evolving. Mm-hmm. And it's a part of our culture to continuously measure, adjust, rebuild. Um, I came from the manufacturing world. So okay. I was a Six Sigma, Six Sigma guy, not a black belt, but um, very big into process improvement. So okay. using tech, we've been able to measure what they call tech time, but just basic throughput of of quality design. And we've been able to adjust our process. We have a really solid design process and We've built all our tools internally. So we're able to mm. continuously improve on the tech to get better throughput, to get quicker communication. We actually wrote an article in our help section about our delivery times. Typically, we guarantee a 24-hour turnaround time on most projects, right? Not a 30-page brochure, but mm. most of our standard size projects, like a business card design as an example. But if a customer has feedback on that design. And we had to make changes and revisions. It would take two, three, four days because we'd go round and round. Mm -hmm. So we actually found process enhancements and improvements along the way, just looking at more of the data to, to continuously drive that time down. And we were able to cut off days, standard lead times on projects. And that was really just process improvement because we're tracking everything. I think the hardship for us is we have so much data. It's trying to find valuable insights and in all of the frequency of data we're constantly monitoring, like yeah. response times. And But we've put a layer of project management in uh, and that's really been extremely helpful. So every design project has an art director, a graphic designer, and a project manager. And that PM's KPI is really throughput. You know, how fast are projects getting completed? How many projects are getting completed per month? So it gives a different spin, where typical agencies, it's just like, how, how much can we run off the meter? <laughs> so yeah, so it's a it's a backwards way to, to look at it, but really beneficial to the customer. And okay. us too, right? We want to get more projects done and keep customers longer. Right, right.
0: So this is really, I mean, when you think about a bunch of uh, artists and designers, you don't necessarily think of a structured environment. Did your artists take to the tech and the structure well when you kind of started implementing that? They love it. They love it. (laughs) I mean, I
1: think, well, look, go back to the way things used to be. Even six months ago, when a designer would start, they'd say, okay, so I have to check my email and then I have to send PDFs via email and then they'll print it out and redline it, scan it back in, email it to me or text me some changes. So they had all this like scattered communication. And then they would say, hey, I sent that thing to you on Friday. It's like, oh, I never got it. It's using my spam, right? So there was all this breakdown of communication. Hmm. We have a part of our tools as as a creative brief builder. So it helps customers get all of their brain dump into something that's more thoughtful for the designer to utilize as a creative brief. It's part of the way our system works. Mm -hmm. So for them to have a creative brief, a structured communication platform, A single point for them to get files. No one's ever asking the designer for things that they would typically have to deal with. So they're really focused more on design. And then if you look at the technology as a whole, it allows them to service a broad range of industries and design disciplines. Where I think most designers were unhappy if they worked for, you know, a real estate company and all they did was the same real estate brochure over and over and over again. So they're getting some diversity. They're getting to work for multiple companies, different design disciplines. They're getting challenged. Hey, I need you to do digital, print, branding. So it's a a unique platform. And I think it's tough because they have to learn it. So there's a little bit of learning curve. But we've, from our experience and other SaaS platforms, spent a lot of time in user experience, making sure that it was a beautiful experience to work in and also thoughtful in the way that they interact with it. Mm-hmm. So being able to move design through the process takes them about a week to learn. Once they learn it, they're uh, like, I wish I had this when I was a freelancer, or I wish I had this at this other agency. It would have like ch- saved me all the headache and of the breakdown of communication. The thing that's unique is that we basically put the onus back on the customer because everything is tracked. So there's no more like, oh, I thought we talked about that. That doesn't exist anymore. or yeah, no, I asked you to make that change on revision four. Like we track every change in every revision. So it's it's really kind of a unique thing where mm-hmm. there's responsibility on both sides. It's tough on them too, right? So we know how fast they respond. <laughs> so they're definitely tracked at a level that they're not accustomed to. Sure. But it's also good for them because it's a learning experience. So it's been positive on both sides.
0: That's great. Jeremy, I think an interesting Place to kind of wrap this up would be to just kind of look back over this journey. It sounds like you were putting a lot of ideas into practice that you had, uh, some of them for the first time, hoping that they would work. And it sounds like they have. What's been the biggest lesson or just kind of takeaway from from the experience of starting this company?
1: Oh, this isn't my first time scaling a company, Mm -hmm. but this is such a different experience for me because it's a balance of talent. And technology, I think a lot of my companies historically have been product focused. So it was make the product better. Gotcha. <laughs> so this is a game of human capital for me, finding and retaining talent, and and I've really become a student of the game of talent scouting and long term retention. So it, it's a huge lesson for me to learn, and I've I've really become a student of that part. So I've I've really started to dive into a lot of books. There I have tons of recommendations around hiring talent scouting and what what I what they call top grading. I actually have a book list I'd probably post somewhere for, for people to look at, but I know there's one called Who, don't remember the author, but scaling up Vern Harnish, pretty, pretty well known author, uh, and top grading, which is um Bradford Smart. And then the Culture Code, which is a really well known book. Don't remember the author there as well, but it's really been a life lesson for me, human capital. Yeah. And and really the balance between that and the company's profit. So that's the the biggest lesson. Yeah. The other is, like I said, slowing down. <laughs> How do you slow down to maintain profitability? And I think, you know, everybody wants a rush to the, to the revenue. So a uh, big challenge, big lesson learned along the way. Right.
0: Awesome. Well, Jeremy, this was great. This was a really fun first podcast. I look forward to doing many more with you.
1: Yeah, absolutely, man super fun for me too. I'm super excited about the future of uh, continuing to have podcasts like this. So.
0: All right. Well, thanks, man. I'll see you later.
1: Thanks. Take care.
0: Thank you for listening to the drawing board podcast. If you like what you heard here today, we'd appreciate it. If you would subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, leave us a review in the iTunes store and share this episode with your friends and coworkers. Make sure to check out our show notes for links to any resources we mentioned in this episode. That's it from us. We'll see you on the next episode. Bye, everyone.